Good afternoon. Happy spring. It's time to launch Boat Talk here on WERU-FM Blue Hill and WERU.org. Boat Talk used to be a call-in boating show with your rusty anchors, Alan Sprague, Mike Joyce, and John Johansson. But with COVID protocols, we can't all be in the studio yet. So this is a pre-recorded Boat Talk, and we can't take phone calls at this time. However, you can reach us at boattalk.org, our website. And speaking of the website, I've posted some pictures there of boats that we will be talking about in this show. So you might want to go to boattalk.org right now and have those pictures handy. First, we go to John Johansson and local boatyard news. He starts by saying how busy the boatyards are now and how many of the boatyards are looking for help. I'll throw in my two cents. If you are looking for a job where you don't do the same thing day after day, boatyards are it. Here's John. Well, you know, going up and down the coast, everybody is absolutely swamped. Everybody's looking for help. So if you're, you know, looking to work in a boatyard, please give any one of them a call. Uh, let's see. Uh, I was down in Cutler and they're building, or they just launched a brand new, what was it? It came out of Little River Boatyard. But anyways, they launched that for a local fisherman. And it was basically a lobster boat. Pretty simple. It, I don't even think it was a split wheelhouse. And uh, let's see, coming this way, I talked about Willis Beal. And Willis has got a model that is all done except for the, uh, the name, which is being done by a letterer. Uh, they're actually going to be vinyl. Uh, the model is of the silver dollar, which is a 1970, let's just say 1970s uh, lobster boat that was owned by Merle Beal. Uh, he put it up for sale several years ago. A little boy about six years old uh, wanted to buy it uh, and was saving to buy it when Randy Durkee from Islesboro bought it and took it to Islesboro and has started to rebuild it. Uh, but through some sort of negotiations, Willis Beale, uh, built the model for the six-year-old who's now nine years old. Uh, but the guy, uh, Willis thinks that his mother's more enthralled with the model than even he is, which is pretty impressive. Uh, so that will be delivered within the next several, uh, uh, days. Uh, the Stellar Ann, which is a lobster boat racer. Uh, which was owned by Benny Beal, has been donated to the uh, Beals Island Historical Society and is going to be moved over there. Wayne Beal's Boat Shop is out straight, as usual. Uh, when I was in there, they were doing the name on a boat that had been damaged early in the, in the fall, uh, decided that, you know, hitting a ledge wasn't that good for fiberglass, uh, but they, you know, made all the necessary repairs to her keel. Hitting uh, a what? Huh? Hitting a what, did he? Hitting a ledge. Ledge, oh, for the keel, yes. 
Yep. Yeah, they. I th- I can't remember how many feet they took out of the keel and how much damage they did inside. Usually, it breaks all the tabbing, so that you've got to take the uh, platform out and retab everything, and then you've also got to redo maybe probably tanks because the tanks may have been twisted, and you you don't you don't need an oil leak because that's not good. Uh, what else is big jobs? Front Street's got a huge job in there. Uh, they're uh, redoing a boat called Patriot, which is a 151 footer with a lot of extensive uh, systems work, paint. Uh, they've got uh, a, a big catamaran that they're constantly doing work to. Every time the owner goes to a boat show, he uh, comes back with more things to put on the boat. Uh, Brooklyn Boat Yard has got a lot going on. Uh, they have a number of small boats this year. Uh ranging anywhere from 18 feet up to 40 something feet, 42 feet, I think. Although the sailboat was 44. That was a Jim Taylor design. Those have all been moved out. Uh, Most of it, they're pretty close to being finished. Uh, But a boat came in. It's a motor sailor that was designed by Sparkman and Stevens and owned by JP Morgan. And she is in to be a total rebuild. Uh, Let's see what else. Uh, as usual, uh, you know, H and H is out straight, which is the Osmond Beale designs in Stuban. Uh, Moses, who's actually Moses Ortiz, I can't pronounce the name of his yard, which actually stands for a Puerto Rican in America because he's from Puerto Rico. Uh, he has two boats in the shed. One is a forty-four Osmond, which was cut down from a forty-seven. That's going in the water very soon. Uh, there was only just minor details to do. Uh, and then next to that was a Muscle Ridge 46 that has been, uh, is, is a brand new boat and it's going to go to Texas. And they're just starting to put the stuff underneath the platform in that boat. I guess other than that, like I said, everybody is pretty much out straight. Uh, oh, I know the uh, Ferrens Boat Shop in Walpole. They've got a 42 Calvin Beal being finished off for the Department of Marine Resources. She should hit the water very soon, within the next couple of weeks. And in the front bay, they've got a, uh, a 36 Wayne Beal hull that's being finished off for a customer from California. And she's probably going to go out this summer. But she's a full yacht. Have you seen Pauline? Pauline? Yeah, they, they've kind of opened up both ends. <laughs> and uh, they're, they're making the necessary changes. What they found was that some of the wood that was used was not good wood. So they've had to actually go back in and redo that. The, the ribs uh, and, the, and the stem? Yeah, mostly in the bow and the stern. But the stern really never had any work done to it. Huh. So that was, I, you know... So that had to be rebuilt anyways, but they thought they were going to be okay in the bow. But when they opened it up, there was some problems that they needed to deal with. And as soon as she comes off the railway, they'll take the house off and put her back to what she used to look like, which is a sardine carrier. Oh, really? Huh? Yeah. So that's a couple of year project because she is now going to move over to Billings and go inside on the railway so that they can do systems and stuff. But she's going to be mostly used for oceanographic type, you know, student training, that sort of thing. 
the unfortunate thing, NOAA made a decision about three months ago with the herring fishery and all the sardine carriers are now obsolete, which is sad because the Jacob Pike is sitting in Booth Bay Harbor, instantly went up for sale. The Double Eagle in Rockland, which was built in East Machias in the late 20s and is in really good shape, uh, she's up for sale. So, you know, it's kind of sad that the government can't figure out how to keep some of these old boats going just because, you know, they're nice looking boats compared to some of the <laughs> first they, they, they you have know, a distinctive but, look. Yeah. You know, and there's not many of them left. Next, John and I had a nice Zoom talk with Jerome Morris, master ship model maker. Since we talked about several of his models that John and I could see in the Zoom meeting, I've posted pictures of several of Jerome's projects in the Model Citizen post at BoatTalk.org. And you can see the videos on YouTube. Just search for Fra Berlanga, the boat name, Fra Berlanga, F-R-A-B-E-R-L-A-N-G-A. John, I don't know if you've seen it, but I posted uh, pictures of Jerome's, um, well, some of his work on the Oh, boat. yeah, I've seen his work. Okay, yeah. Have, did you see the video? I didn't look at the video. Yeah. Um, interesting video, Jerome, uh, <laughs> tooling around in a, in a banana boat. Um, oh, just, yeah. Yeah. Um, what kind of power is in that boat? There's a hundred pound thrust trolling motor runs off a deep cycle battery. Ah, okay. That explains why I didn't hear anything. Very quiet. Yeah. Yeah, The trolling motors right behind the house and forward of the forward mast. Um, I didn't want to hang it out off the stern. Right. So I thought I'm just, I ended up cutting a well into the boat and, uh, seems to work i can hear the water washing up inside the well um but it's minor i can live with it uh-huh tell us how you got that boat i was a member of project liberty ship which is a liberty ship down in baltimore maryland called the john w brown and back uh must have been eight or nine years ago um they were getting ready to go for a, a cruise down Chesapeake Bay and back. And the Coast Guard happened to decide to look down in the lower holds of the ship. And this model had been put down there by Project Liberty Ship ages ago, back in the probably mid 80s. And the Coast Guard, um, the thing had fallen over, um, it broken a lot of broken pieces on the deck. So the Coast Guard said, we'll give you a certificate to sail if you get that out of the boat. So they, the next day, rigged up the cargo booms, pulled it out of number three hold or number four hold and threw it out on the pier and took a picture of it and sent it out to, in an email to every member and said, "Where well, you know, this thing has got to go. We don't want it. It would be neat to have it if, or if it was going to be restored or something. Um, if anybody wants it, let us know. Well, I raised my hand and said, boy, I'd love to have that. That would be cool. <laughs> um, so two days later, I get a phone call. 
and it's uh, Mike Schneider, who was in charge of the Liberty ship at the time. And he says, the model's yours. Come get it. You've got two weeks. <laughs> and I was like, oh, geez, well, that ought to be easy. I'm only 900 miles away. <laughs> um, so I called my nephew down in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, he had a trailer and a bass boat. And I asked him if you could, you know, if he could take his bass boat off the trailer, drive to Baltimore, pick this up and drive it back to Maine. And he's like, oh, sure. He says, I'll get some time off from work and, and uh, get down in a couple of days. So five days later, the thing's sitting in my backyard. <laughs> um, it, it had been through Project Liberty Ship. They had said it was like a 15 or 16 foot model. Um, once I got it here, it's like, well, it's a lot bigger than 15 feet. Um, it tops out just about 20 feet. It's about 33 inches wide. So about as wide as a canoe, you know, 16 foot canoe. Um, draws about nine inches of water. Um, the hull itself is laminated pine. It's hollowed out. Um, and the hull, just the hull weighs 750 pounds. Wow. Uh, needs another 700 pounds to get it down to its water line. And I got some big uh, lead ingots that came from the Laura B at Manhegan boat line. Um, they was willing and not willing to give me about a thousand pounds of it. Wow. Uh, so it's, it's a handful with a, only a hundred, hundred pound thrust trolling motor in it when it's weighing, weighing close to a thousand pounds. But now um, you had to do a lot of work on this to get it to the point it is now. I have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the, the whole, most of the superstructure was gone. Um, the mast, all the deck fittings, everything was broken off, destroyed and thrown away. Um, if I'd had the parts, it would have sped things up a lot because I would have had patterns. Um, but I didn't have anything other than a photograph. This came out of a National Geographic magazine um, called Men's, or a book called Men's, Men's Ships in the Seas. And oh, I, I saw remember that. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the model. Okay. And I'm able to gather an awful lot of information off this. Um, but there was still an awful lot missing. Um, so I've scrounged up photographs of the actual ship. Um, trying to keep it simple though, because you can, because it's half inch to the foot, um, you could really go overboard in, in detail, but it's such a big model. It's like, you just, I don't have that kind of time. Now was um, this, this was built for the fruit company, United fruit. It was built for United fruit company. Now did it, Earl Walker sail for them? He did. He actually sailed on the Fra Berlanger, which is what this model is. Um, sailed aboard her as third mate. Oh, back in okay. the fifties. Yeah. He's, he's quite tickled that I've ended up with this thing. He, can, he could remember seeing it um, in the office of United Fruit Company in Boston. Um, and it was, it was used as like a travel agent's model. And uh, I guess when Chiquita Brands bought United Fruit Company out, um, they didn't want this 20-foot model. So they gave it to the high school John W. Brown, which was in New York City at the time. Um, as far as I can tell, I can't find the actual, you know, 
can't trace it out um, in detail, the history, but I know it was in Boston and it ended up going aboard John W. You're right now. Click on. Bullshit. Talk to you later. And, uh, you know, it's, it's astounds me. I guess I'm blessed um, because I saw that photograph in the National Geographic book when I was like eight or nine years old. And I thought that would be so cool to own that model. <laughs> and then here it is 55 years later, it's in my backyard. Now, is it still uh, cool to own the model? It is. <laughs> okay. It really is. Sometimes yeah. you get what you wish for and it's not what you wish for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I had um, one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Which was a hell of a lot bigger. Yeah. Um, so it's tell been us- fun working on it. You know, I've been usually, I only work on it in the summertime because it lives outdoors under a tarp. Um, but I'll take like two or three hours every week and really go at it mm-hmm. and knock something out. Um, and it's over time, it's come together quite well. How much more do you have to do? Um, cargo booms and winches. And that's about it. Oh, that's um, made, I made all the bollards last year. Um, and I'm all ready to mount those as soon as I uncover it. Um, You're not going to make any gonna... uh, make any miniature bananas? <laughs> um, well, I can buy the bag bananas, you know, little, little candies ones. So I'm all set <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> Yeah, she'll so, hold like 179,000 bushels of b- bananas, supposedly. Wow. <laughs> so, Jerome, you've been working for King's Point. And uh, yep. tell us about some of the models that you've got in, in your office right now from King's Point. I can uh, I'll give you a, a quick tour. Let's see. I'll turn some lights on here. So, let's see. The first one is the Exxon Valdez. So she's a, you know, as you can see, it's a little dusty. Oh, that's all right. I thought it'd be oil. Not yet, (laughs) but uh, you know, it's quite the model. It's a big model. It's about uh, what? 12 and a half inches wide, 60 odd inches long, 60, 68 inches long. And it looks like it's- Did you have to build this one? I did. Yeah. Yep, okay. That's that's a solid um, basswood hull, and the superstructure is just a uh, boxes pretty much. Um, the lifeboats are, uh, you know, carved out the lifeboats. Um, you know, all this stuff is soldered up, brass work, um, smokestacks, just a piece of wood. Um, the vents are wood. Yeah. I'm happy with it. Yeah, you know, it's still, nice. it could use more work, but I'm happy. Um, let's see. And then there's the Bob Hope, which is a big heavy logistic ship for military sea lift command. And uh, this is a, it's got a big roll on roll off gantry or a bridge there. Um, oh, yeah. Up here, this thing actually folds down, and there's a bridge back there that connects to this. And 
that way when this is folded down they could actually bring that bridge across the sunken ship that's laying dockside uh -huh. so they could still unload this thing um she's specifically designed to carry a hundred m m1 tanks and there's the erna elizabeth i don't know if i can get a light on that or not um that's just a standard oil tanker that was developed or there's the mercy um that was that was just in uh, new york city for the covid thing about a year ago wasn't it yep. correct it was yep yep as well as the comfort which is out on the west coast right same ship they were converted uh super tankers Converted back in like the 1970s, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Um, then there's the Manhattan. Um, another big model. You know, another, it's a foot wide, 67, 68 inches long. Um, big job, no doubt. It was fun, but uh, it was... A lot of the same pieces over and over and over and over. It's got like 60 of these uh, these little gray hatch covers because it was a, a had a lo lot of tankage. Um, again, she was, a, you know, 900 feet long before it was converted. Um, when they added all this new bow, ice breaking bow to it. Wasn't uh, she the first one to go up through the Northwest Passage? She was, yes. Yep. The first one to make it, um, even though it was assisted with icebreakers from Canada, um, they, they, it was mostly to prove that the um, Alaskan pipeline was more viable than building these things. Um, they didn't have enough, you know, she was 43,000 horsepower, twin screwed not enough power to break through 20 foot ice consistently year round. So that's why we have the Alaskan pipeline now, because this did not work. It right. worked, but wasn't just wasn't viable. Um, then there's the, our very first roll on roll off, which was the USNS Comet. Um, this ship was a one-off build um, on a C3 hull. So she's like 450 feet long. Um, still needs to be rigged, but in due time. It uh, was a very small ship. She couldn't carry any tanks. Um, they just didn't have the space. Um, and it also had cargo booms, which they realized cargo booms don't work when speed is of the essence. Um, but, uh, you know, nice little model had it, had, had its own problems when I was building it, but surmounted that and moved on. So, uh, and then there's the, the, what is this? The J Pierpont Morgan, um, which is a four carrier. Actually, that probably should be sitting about right there. Um, but that's, you know, the, Hatches there, they're upside down. Hatches will go there. It's a great lake um, boat, right? Yep, that's a lake boat. Yeah. Um, working on the house back here. Um, you know, it's uh, I can buy railings, which are, come from Blue Jacket. 
uh-huh. photo etched brass. So they're only about ten thousandths thick, but I just, you know, paint them up and uh, <clears throat> they look pretty good once they're painted. Oh yeah. Put some pins in the edge of the deck, glued the, glued these to the pins, and uh, they're pretty durable over over the years. So uh, you know I don't have much to go by, but that got me in the ballpark. So a sister ship uh, or a similar ship built by the same shipyard in the same time period. So uh, there's my plan. Um, I don't really, the only plans I bought were um, a book of plans for the Manhattan. Um, I couldn't find anything for the Comet other than photos online. Um, Couldn't really find anything for the Mercy because she's still in commission. So it's sort of top secret. Um, (laughs) There was, there was also nothing for the Erna Elizabeth um, other than some photos, but it was a standard tanker. So I was pretty familiar with that because I worked on a standard tanker for mobile oil back in the eighties. So I got the layout of a tanker down pretty good. Um, but, uh, you know, then there's my other collection of ship models. It's everything. There's the Bowden over there, a Mickey Tug, another oil tanker. Um, you name it. But uh, the others, the other models that I built for Kings Point, which were the Ideal X, the Marisk, Alabama, and... Oh, yeah, the Sea uh, Train Texas. Um, I've already delivered those. I delivered those like a year and a half ago. Um, and I actually don't even have any photographs for them, of them. Um, so I might have some online here and there. Um, but uh, they're all coming together. Um, hopefully going to deliver them this summer because um, I've been working on this for little over three years and it's getting old (laughs) i will admit and the reason it's getting old is because they're all the same scale and there's not a lot of pieces i can buy so everything's got to be fabricated um and that's mostly like winches i can buy um little deck bollards but uh you know, oh, that yeah. doesn't save me a lot of time. It's the winches and, and windlasses. Um, I got to f- fabricate that from plastic or metal. Um, and it really eats up a lot of hours because every one of them is different. You know, I can't build a windlass for like the windlass for the Mercy. No other, none of these other ships looks like that windlass. Um, and I've got a nice photograph of the bow of the, of the Mercy. Um, so, you know, stuff like that just sucks up a lot of hours. Um, so, uh, J- Jerome, you have your own um, lathe? I do. Yeah. Sitting right there. Oh, under the blanket. Yep. Do you under use the a 3D printer? Um, I probably could, but the contract states they don't want any plastic or very little plastic. And most 3D printed stuff is plastic. Right. So there's no longevity to it yet. So I don't really dare do that. 
Um, I've seen models at Kings Point that they used earlier plastic, like celluloid plastic. And oh man, they're just, the models are shot. It's, they've asked me to repair them. And I'm like, you can't repair that. It's easier to start fresh and build another one. So is that what they're having you do? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, some of them, um, most of the repairs I've been doing is paint, uh, paint and rigging. Right. Uh, um, but they can the, keep you busy forever, can't they? Oh, yeah. They've got about 90 models in their collection. Um, but God knows whether they'll ever get to the other end of them. Um, right. Some of them are in such hard shape it would take months just to repair them and i've told them it's not really worth repairing them they've basically said you know repair the models that mean the most to us even though they let me decide that um so it's it's all the cargo ships all the civilian commercial ships that they have in their collection we've been working on those first um, and I've probably got 30 of them finished. That's Jerome Morris, master model maker. Last month, Mike, John, and I had a Zoom meeting with some Boat Talk listeners, and we started talking with a listener who lives down on the Hudson River and really likes ice boats. Again, there's a picture of a stern steerer at Boat Talk. Org. About, let, yeah, Mike. About if we start with John from Rhinebeck about ice boats and how uh, uh, we can get right. that uh, cold subject behind us. You know, <laughs> yeah. Everybody's more thinking about spring now, of course. But um, again, John, you uh, have it, it some was, interest in old ice boats. Well, it was. Uh, I got interested in ice boats in 1982. Uh, I, I like the old ice boats, the stuff that's 100 years old or more. You know, we sail all these old stern steerers on the Hudson River here. And we've got quite a fleet of them at the moment. You know, there's probably 30 in our fleet and almost as many in the uh, North Shrewsbury Club down in New Jersey. But this was, a you know, with global warming, we hardly get to do it here anymore. Uh, we had a, a week or two on, on the river, Hudson River just north of here in Athens. But, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of sailing between the snow and the lack of wind or too much wind. And then uh, like March, March, I guess it was March 3rd or March 5th, March 5th it was, uh, all of a sudden the ice came in down at Orange Lake down near Newburgh and we got three days of sailing there <laughs> and then the ice went out. <laughs> so it was really kind of a short season kind of crappy you know but uh we still drag them out put them together and do it no matter if it's for one day or three days or three weeks so those stern stirs so, um how do you lug them around from one place to another they have their own trailer uh they come apart or uh yeah they will you have to take them apart first because they're like you know the runner planks yeah. 18 feet wide and some of the boats are 36 40 we even have a couple big ones that are 50 feet long. Uh, but yeah, so they have a special trailer or you put them on a rack on top of a pickup truck 
uh, the smaller uh, stern steers, you know, the ones that are 30 feet long, you know, you can, if you build an extended rack over the, over the hood of your pickup truck, they ride quite nicely. But it, it's hard to go long distances with them. You know, in Maine, everybody's got a DN and is very portable and mobile. And they just throw them on the top of their car and they go, you know, from place to place, day to day. Uh, we're kind of, you know, when we set up, we stay there for a week or more. John, when you uh, speak of the difficulties of finding good ice, um, you know, the uh, just fuss of uh, getting the boat here and there and set up and everything. So why, why bother? Um, what is about ice boating that makes people so crazy? Okay. Uh, some people love it for the speed. Uh, it's, it, it's one of the fastest things you can do on the planet. Without uh, an engine, yes. Yeah. Without an engine, for sure. Yeah. yeah, except for jumping off a cliff. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, they're, they're just wonderful things to watch. They're, they're very graceful. Uh, they're very seductive things. Uh, you know, when you get out there and get sailing, you know, you can be going... 40 miles an hour and you're, you're sailing around in the beauty of, uh, say, Tivoli Bay, which is, you know, kind of taken over by the cattails in some places. And it's just, uh, it's just an incredible feeling uh, when you're sailing these things. And uh, a lot of us like the restoration work also. It's a lot of handwork uh, done in the old fashioned way, you know, rigging, you know, not by crimping stuff on, but by hand splicing cable and, you know, serving it and finding old parts, you know, like old Merriman brass and bronze and things like that and discovering it in somebody's attic or barn and they didn't know what they had or what it was and here, get rid of it. <laughs> so it comes to us. You know, so there's a, a, a family down in Newburgh, the Lawrence family, they have a, a giant fruit farm and, uh, so they have a lot of storage space and uh, a good shop. So a lot of stuff gets down done down there. And they also have the frontage on Orange Lake. So we can have access to that ice down there. You rarely see an ice boat by itself. That's true. It's, it's something you need to do with other people. Uh, it's it's they're they're big they're heavy and for safety reasons you know you always want to be with somebody else you know there's a saying ice is never safe and uh have you ever fallen through i've only been in once <laughs> and that was in fairly shallow water in tivoli bay and it's uh, the tide was coming in uh it's uh i've, I've had a boat go through the ice uh, out on the river uh and, you know, with a runner, one runner down in the water and one sticking straight up in the air. But I managed to jump off onto firm ice before <laughs> uh, I actually went in. And we pulled that one out under moonlight one night way back in, uh, oh, God, it was, I guess it was about 88. You know, we had Pete Seeger there sailing with us that afternoon. And uh, so we were kind of excited and we weren't watching the holes. <laughs> So what was the impetus of, uh, of it starting? Uh, recreational, competition, 
and generally uh, where uh, would it have started back then? It started in the uh, Hudson Valley. Uh, there's a guy um, in, in Poughkeepsie. What was his name? Oh, not Captain Drake, but there was a, he put a, you know, like a fruit box on some skates and put a sail on it. And people saw how fast he was going and sailing around, having a great time. And from there, the wealthy of the, the Hudson Valley, the Hudson Valley was a very wealthy place after the Civil War uh, because of all the industry here, the, 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 the uh, metal, metalworking uh, and uh, the gun making and stuff like that. Uh, so there was all this money here and uh, all of the wealthy patrons uh, just invested in building the biggest, fastest boat they could. Uh, there would be 4,000 people on the ice in Poughkeepsie to watch the, uh, the championship regatta, the Ice Yacht Challenge Pennant of America, which is kind of the equivalent of what the America's Cup is to soft water sailing. And, uh, you know, that, that boat's still around, the Jack Frost, which won it, you know, four out of nine times. Uh, that boat is still sailing. We sail it every year that we can. Uh, a lot of the boats got lost during World War II era when they started scrapping everything uh, because a lot of them were stored down at, in Hyde Park at Roosevelt's boathouse. Uh, FDR was a, an ice boater. He wasn't a big one. His, his uh, uncle was the really uh, guy who really pushed and loved ice boating, John A. Roosevelt. And he built a lot of boats. And, uh, it, it, but it was, it was a sport of the wealthy, you know. And back then, they couldn't jet off to the Caribbean to go sailing. Mm -hmm. They were kind of stuck here, and uh, this was what they did. <laughs> They'd get out, a, you know, the surveyors would get out. They'd mark out a precise 20-mile course and 10 miles up, 10 miles back, and they would go for it. Extremely fast, uh, hard-nosed sailors. Uh, and as I was saying about having other people around, it's just a flat-out thrill, okay? And when you come back from a run, you need somebody to jump up and down in front of and go, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, you know, because <laughs> – it, it just comes with, uh, like I say, such a shot of adrenaline. You can't, you can't really say right. a nice ball without it, you know, without it getting you a tingle. Not possible. Right. And, yeah. and uh, stimulating is an understatement. Yes. Right. And we're a very social group too. You know, yeah. uh, we're not into racing as much as we are into uh, having other people come down and enjoy it. Uh, the last time we had a big thing uh, we, on a, in January of four, in spring of 14, March of 2014, we had uh, some ice form after a deep snow. The snow saturates and then it freezes. And that gave us some thickness that, that lasted. And uh, we had probably had, you know, 400 people a day. Uh, almost had, we had a brass band on the ice. We have a stove on the ice. You know, everybody brings down <laughs> something, some food, some Maine wild blueberry jam with pancakes is really a favorite uh, on the ice. And, uh, you know, people are standing around drinking a glass of wine and talking to their friends and getting a ride. And kids are loving it. You know, kids are playing on the ice. Kids are going for rides and going, oh, my God, how cool is that? <laughs> And uh, it's just a wonderful thing, you know, a day of in the winter, you know, when you think nobody's doing anything, 
you know, you just dress up warm, put on three layers and get out there and you're, you're comfortable all day once you get used to it. John, you also spoke of a uh, competition uh, the end of the season called the hard way, wasn't it? Yes, that that's uh, something that Tell the New England that. group and the, the main, uh, the Chickawaukee Ice Yacht Club are big in participating. And that's a race, uh, not a race, it's an expedition. It's kind of a, uh, like a Tour de France type of deal where you start out uh, in Wolfboro at, at Brewster Beach and you go all the way to the other end of the lake near Laconia. Not Laconia. Uh, yeah, I guess it's Laconia. Yeah, on Winnipesaukee. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and there's numerous obstacles in your way. There's reefs. You know, there's open water where the ice is expanded and contracted and pushed. You know, uh, uh, layered over each other. So, you know, do the expansion and contraction of the ice, and uh, it's about thirty miles as the crow flies, uh, but, you know, you end up sailing a hundred miles and, uh, you know, daylight is limited and uh, it doesn't happen every year. It's quite a challenge. And this year, uh, I, I think they had thir almost 30 people start and seven actually did it, including a 17 year old. <laughs> Milo. Yeah. Milo, right. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Bill Buckholtz and uh, down in Camden, he's a he's a great proponent of ice boating. Yeah. He builds a lot of beautiful ice boats. He puts out and, a good uh, newsletter. So what are the what are the dangers of it? You said that uh, only seven finished that one. Uh, oh, the, the particular day it was is just uh, blowing like stink, and uh, they managed to get upwind, but. And, you know, some of them dismasted, so, you know, sails ripped out, blown out. I've had a sail blow out on Winnipesaukee and when, when we used to go up there with, with our stern steers and, you know, uh, finding the path <laughs> and making the distance, you know, well, before nightfall kept, catches you uh, out. Uh, it's it's basically kind of an endurance test and uh, uh, you know, your boat rattling along for over a hundred miles, you know, pins come undone, shackles break, uh, <laughs> runners fall off, all kinds of things, you know, <laughs> it's just uh, amazing how, how, how torturous that bumping along on rough ice can be on wood screws and shackles that aren't completely tight. <laughs> And, uh, you know, your rig can come apart, uh, mass break. But, so uh, so who's, who's building them now uh, as far as, uh, you know, to supply uh, people interested uh, in doing it? Or there's a lot of used? There's a lot of people home building. Uh, there's people professionally building them, particularly in the DNs. The DNs have a, is an international uh competition worldwide competition there's you know serious competition between poland and united states and a couple other countries uh and the dn group and uh so they're, they're always innovating and because uh, they're easy to transport you know they go around the world with the boats 
do, but, do they uh, look a lot different than they started out? Because like when you watch the America's Cup now, I mean, those boats don't even uh, look like boats. Uh, and I'm sure they're all made out of, you know, composite stuff that we never heard of. You know. DN stands for Detroit News, and that was the design contest back in the 1930s. And they've kept quite rigidly to, you know, some of the original specs. And so while they do allow, you know, uh, modern mass, you know, and but and the runners are still flat plate and such and such a length, uh, can't weigh more than this, can't be more than that wide, uh, sides have to be spruce, you know, it can't be all synthetic material now, and so they have these bendy masts now, and they've learned to sail them, and so they're quite fast, those boats can easily go 60 miles an hour, and it's, the competition is pretty keen there, now, you know, like Bill Buckholtz builds them, and there's some guys, composites, uh, uh, down in Massachusetts and out west, they, they, there's a lot of uh, interest in in the DN racing. So there's still people who build them, but a lot of them get home built. And in uh, the sea skeeters, there's one guy in New Jersey who's kind of the king of it all, Danny Clapp. And uh, those boats are amazing. They're like little aircraft cockpits. You know, you you push it, you get started, and you jump in, you slide the cockpit bubble closed over you, and you sit there in your T-shirt on a warm, sunny day and sweat <laughs> as you're screaming across the ice at a 90 or 100 miles an hour. As ice boats were developed, they, uh, just like boats, steered from behind. But as they got modern, hardly anybody builds uh, new stern steers nowadays. Modern ice boats all steer at the bow, correct? That's true, yes. Mm-hmm. They're just faster and uh, easier to control for most oh, people, yeah. you know. It's... And the other irony is that a real uh, sailboat is fastest off the wind or beside it, and an ice boat is fastest going into the wind because it, it is uh, a deal with friction and the sail acting like an airplane wing lifting the boat up, you know. And right. uh, as I say, when that wind gets a uh, uh, coming in your face at the speed you might be going, 60 miles an hour, say 40 miles an hour, feels like 100 miles an hour when you're sitting an inch off the ice. You know? <laughs> and, uh, right. Then to turn the boat and jibe uh, an ice boat is what it just makes me scream out loud and laugh as loud as I can every time I do it. All the noise goes away, everything gets quiet, and off you go. Away you go. I love that when you get upwind and you make that downwind turn and the, the, the windward runner kicks up in the air and you, you kind of try and keep it up there as long as you can and you just accelerate like, you know, squirting a, a watermelon seed out between your fingers. Uh, you just rock it off, you know, like two, three Gs of acceleration and you're hanging on to keep the boat from spinning out. And if you make that turn right, you know, you can just really leave your other competitors in the dust. I like to tell people uh, if you haven't been sailing on an ice boat, you've never truly been sailing. You know, uh, it's just such a unique experience. And, and again, uh, we'll hand your ass to you if you don't do it right. <laughs> uh, that's true. 
they, you know, when the wind is up, they will, they command all your attention, you know, you need to be fully there, fully engaged, and you, you don't have more than a half a second sometimes to think about where you're going to turn, what you're going to do. It's not like in sailing a water boat, well, let's tack, you know, and uh, two or three minutes later, you get there and you tack, but, you know, it's, uh, you, you got to be, uh, it's, it's a real handful. On a, on a nice day, you know, they can be so gentle and so easy to sail and the minute the wind gets up over 15 miles an hour it's a whole different animal the uh the power in the wind is goes up with the cube of the speed of the wind and uh, all of a sudden you're dealing with something that weighs you know 400 pounds and it's got 600 horsepower pushing you around that's john spear down in rhinebeck next we are going to stay on the hudson with Pete Seeger's sloop, the Clearwater. I got a question for John. What's that vessel in the picture? The, the it looks like a Gloucester schooner. That's the uh, Hudson River sloop Clearwater that was built uh, by Harvey yeah, Gamage in, in South Bristol. Yeah, uh, that's the day it was launched, about fifty-two years ago. Uh, I put that picture up today because uh, fifty-one years ago, Earth Day. The uh, Clearwater sailed to Washington, D.C. to promote the Clean Water Act. Well, also today, they launched, and I was supposed to be there at noontime, but they launched it early. The Louis R. French went in, and it was her 150th uh, anniversary to the day of her launch. <laughs> so she went oh, in no. this morning about 1030 instead of noon, which was what I was told. Right. So, so she's all fixed up and off the railway at North End Shipyard, and now American Eagle comes up. Yeah, Clearwater, that's a, that was a pretty big vessel, too, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it's 108 feet long. It was one of the larger vessels that Harvey Gamage built. Uh, but uh, Captain Alan Anapu sailed it out with Clearwater Master uh, Pete Seeger and... Uh, Gordon Bach was first mate, and uh, what's his name, the singer? Um. I can offer two suggestions to that. Don McLean and Ramblin' Jack Elliott. Both were part of the early crew. Was on board as well. It was quite a trip. It was a wonderful trip, you know, and uh, the boat does not do well in the ocean, the clear water. It was designed for flat water sailing on the Hudson River. Uh, we've taken it as far as uh, Mystic and Newport a couple times, and it's uh, it's pretty hard on the boat. You know, we we came back from Newport one one year, and Jesus, all the flashing was broken, and all the mass partners all fell into the bilge, and it took you know all winter to to fix all that stuff, and many thousands of dollars. And was she uh, designed? Was she designed off of one of the boats on the Hudson? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, for, Plank, for Plank, for oh. Plank, uh, well, uh, had wrote a book about sloops on the Hudson. Cy Hamlin designed it. Here's the background on that. After doing some research and prep drawings, Pete brought his project to Joel White to design and build. Joel looked at it and said... There was too much sail for a boat that size. 
Pete argued that it was going to be used on flat water. Anyway, Joel said he was booked up at the time, but he recommended Cy Hamlin in Southwest Harbor. Oh, I knew Cy. Yeah, right. He was an interesting character. Right, yeah. He had been all over the world looking at different vessels, especially fishing vessels. He even went to Sri Lanka, all over the world. He, he was a pretty interesting guy because he started at the Hinkley Company. It, it's, it's just a wonderful vessel. It's just, you know, it was a magical period there when I was involved with the boat. Did a lot of maintenance on it, rigging particularly. That was my specialty, to right. rig it and take it apart spring and fall. And, and I'd sub in on the crew when they were shorthanded. But, you know, it's just uh, it's, it's a magical boat. Yeah, it's, it's it's still sailing, and uh, they're out in the Hudson right now in Poughkeepsie. And we, we, due to COVID, we can't take passengers quite yet, but uh, we'll get there. We're you know licensed for eighteen crew and uh, fifty passengers, sixty eight total. And you know every time they talk about oh we got to change the ballast out, we got to replace it with lead. They built built it with cast iron window sash weights oh, I, yeah. say, no, you, I say no you can't do that you know if you do that you're going to have to go through a recertification and they'll never let you have 50 passengers or the top sail up again john you speak of the magic of the vessel and the magic is the people around it isn't it yep. it's all about the people right uh, people were yep. just willing to work so hard to keep that vessel going and that's true, as true today as it was the day it was launched. Which is lucky because a lot of people, a lot of vessels, that people lose interest in them. For more information on the Clearwater, their website is clearwater.org. Finally, Mike has a fishy ending. It is eel season right now on the rivers on the coast of Maine. And uh, any uh, tidal stream right now is lined with uh, V-shaped <coughs> nets along the bank meant to funnel eels into a little uh, sock at the end there. The price has uh, uh, gone back up this year after the pandemic crash. I'm sorry, last year on the uh, price of eels and nobody was buying and shipping them. Um, I believe it's Maine's second most valuable fishery at this point. Um, you know, ain't a little thing at all. And uh, an eel permit's a good thing. Brand new book at the library. The Book of Eels, our enduring our enduring uh, fascination with the most mysterious creature in the natural world, Patrick Svensson, a uh, Swedish fellow. And he makes a couple of really surprising po- uh, points. The eel metamorphosizes during its lifetime, okay? And it starts off as larva when it's born in the Sargasso Sea. That goes on a current. The uh, Sargasso Sea is that's a thing. That's uh, more than a place because it's uh, bounded by four currents, wherever it is. So the eels get launched and they can drift for as many as uh, three or four years before they turn into the glass eels that come ashore and right away change from salt to fresh water. Okay. Um, right. That's the ones we catch. Yep. Those eels find where they want to hang out and turn into uh, yellow eels where they spend most of their life and can live extremely long lives 40 60 as much as 80 years nobody knows what switches them and all of a sudden they turn silver 
and go back out in the ocean and swim back to the Sargasso Sea again, okay? One of the cool things about eels, nobody ever has seen an eel do it or or be born, okay? <laughs> and people as interesting as Aristotle spent a long time thinking about eels. He concluded uh, anthrogenesis, so they come from mud, okay? Another fellow thought they started off as crickets. Sigmund Freud spent a couple of years trying to find out how eels had sex, okay? And he paid people to send them meal peckers or, or uh, eggs, and, and uh, people did, but they never write kind. So um, he goes very frustrated by that. Turns out that in its last metamorphosis, the eel, as a silver eel, that's when it grows its reproductive organs. And at the same time, it shuts off its digestive system. And it does every uh, ounce of energy is to reproduce. It can live as much as four years without eating after that. But after it reproduces, it dies. And again, nobody had ever seen an eel do it, not, not even in captivity, because they won't do it in captivity. They'll just outweigh you. And a pretty damn interesting book. Really was. I recommend it. Hmm. So, so Mike, where, where's the market for uh, eels? Is it foreign? Yes, they uh, go overseas to the uh, uh, Taiwan, uh, you know, Japan. Japan, um, mostly. And they grow them. They grow them out in ponds, uh-huh. so that they take our little glass eels, which are an inch or two long. You can see right through them. They grow those in aquaculture ponds till they turn into the eel that we would catch on on the bottom of our pond. They chop it up and sell it to us as sushi. Yeah, we have them on the Hudson River here. Yep. And I've seen them in the Delaware. I remember uh, my my grandmother used to live in Del- up in Sullivan County. And uh, as we drive up the Delaware, there would be all these weirs and uh, eel traps in, in the Delaware River. They're literally everywhere. And especially the yellow eel has the ability to come out of the water and go across the land and, and really uh, go some strange places that most, quote, fish can't, you know. It's a tough little bugger. And that will wriggle us out of Boat Talk for another month. If you'd like to Zoom with the Boat Talk guys, just contact us at the boattalk.org website. Happy sales.